Pastor John Cannon and the Congregation of Victory Church welcome you to this message from the Word of God. It is our heartfelt desire to see you grow closer to the Lord and to help you become all that He has created you to be. Our prayer is that through this ministry you would come to know Him in a greater way and that these teachings from Scripture would better equip you to fulfill His plan in your life. Now, let's join Pastor John as we study the Word together. most common internet urban myths, blunders uh, that you see. You you ever go on Facebook and there's a list of things or or something on there that's attributed to one person, but then if you research it out, they had absolutely nothing to do with it, okay? Uh, That happens quite a bit. Uh, One of the most common ones, though, uh, was Microsoft founder Bill Gates once spoke at a high school graduation and shared some practical life skills. Well, I'm here to tell you, Bill Gates never did that. But a teacher in California did. This teacher, Charles Sykes in California, he did create this list of rules that everybody attributes to Bill Gates. Okay? So we're going to use Dr. Sykes' list here this morning and count down the top seven life rules you won't learn in high school. Now, this is more for the kids, but I guess we could all take something away from this. Rule number seven, television is not real. Okay? Guns do run out of ammo, okay? And eventually you have to leave the coffee shop and get a job, okay? Rule number six, life isn't divided into semesters. You don't get summers off, and very few employers are interested in helping you find yourself, okay? Now, rule number five, if you mess up, it is not your parents' fault. Don't whine about your mistakes. Learn from them. On that note, yesterday we went to a mall and, and uh, Lincoln and Henry, I'm pushing them in a stroller, right? Talking about blaming your parents or your grandparents for that matter. Anyway, Henry's sitting on the back of the stroller. There's a little seat for him. And we're walking along and he just falls out. Just falls right on the ground right there. And we all died laughing because it was kind of funny, right? He gets up and says, Papa, why'd you push me out of the stroller? <laughs> I had nothing to do with it. But I guess it was easier for him to blame Papa. So anyway... It's not my fault. Rule number four, flipping burgers is not beneath your dignity. Your grandparents had a different word for burger flipping. They called it opportunity. Rule number three, if you think your teacher is tough, wait till you get a boss. Rule number two, be nice to nerds. Chances are you'll end up working for one. And rule number one that you will not learn in high school is life is not fair. Get used to it. Mm. So when Charles Sykes was asked how he felt about uh, everyone from Ann Landers to Paul Harvey wrongly attributing uh, this list to Bill Gates, he said, I don't get upset. He said, hey, life isn't fair. I'm used to it. Sykes says the average teenager uses the phrase, it's not fair, 8.6 times a day. It's not fair, right? Kids apparently got it from their baby boomer parents who were the most idealistic generation Ever. So it's been passed down. We as a human being, you know, human race, we it's all about what's fair, what's not fair. Somebody gets more money than us, hey, that's not fair. Somebody gets a better house than us, hey, that's not fair. But hey, we're gonna play the it's not fair game. So when I say my statement, I want you guys to say out, hey, that's not fair. Some people are better at sports than I am. 
not fair. He got the promotion instead of me. She can eat a gallon of haagen without gaining a pound. <laughs> Some drug-using high school dropout Hollywood actor makes more money on one bad movie than all the high school teachers in O'Fallon combined. I've been a good parent. I've raised my child to know the Lord, and they've rebelled against God. I live a clean life. I've never smoked. And now the doctors tell me I have lung cancer. My uncle smoked a pack of cigarettes every day for 30 years, and he's fine. This is not fair. And I say this a lot at work. Okay? No good deed goes unpunished. Okay? That's, that's not fair. Definitely not fair. But know this. Life isn't fair, but God is good. God is good. So follow along, if you will, in your Bible. You can use your uh, iPod, your iPad, or if you actually brought a Bible to church, that would be good too. <laughs> okay? We can use any of those. Uh, but we're, uh, we're in Matthew 19, uh, excuse me, Matthew 20, 1 through 16, but we're going to back up. To Matthew 19, the very last verse there, that last verses. Uh, one thing we need to remember is uh, chapter and verse divisions were, were added to the Bible later on, okay? They're there to keep things going and, and uh, be able to uh, find things in the Bible easier, but, but they weren't written in from the beginning, uh, uh, so uh, just keep that in mind. That's why we're going to have to back up into chapter 19. Uh, and although they were added later on, I think they were put in the wrong places sometimes. That's just me, though. I didn't, I didn't do it. But, uh, but so we're going to read Matthew 19.30 and then Matthew 20.16 to provide you uh, these, this identical pair of bookends for this parable we're about to read. And so in, in Matthew 19.30 it says, But many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. And then if you go all the way to 20.16, it says, uh, So the last will be first, and the first will be last. He kind of switches it around there. Before we go any further, let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask Him to be with us this morning and help us to understand what Jesus is he's telling this parable, but what this, the parable that what Jesus is trying to get across to us. But let's go to the Lord in prayer real quick. Heavenly Father, we thank You for this day. And just, again, thank You for, again for an opportunity to be in Your pulpit, Lord, and, and, and speak. Lord, and I just pray You'd speak through me, and I pray You'd speak to hearts. Lord, and if there's somebody here that needs this message, Lord, I just pray that You would... Uh, speak to them now. And, and Lord, I pray everybody would open their hearts and minds to what you have to say to them, Lord. Uh, be with us. Be with those that aren't here today. I know we have many empty seats, wherever they are, whatever they're doing, Lord. I just pray for them. Lift them up to you, Lord, for, for safety, Lord. But above all, bring them back to us. Lord, we love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, here's the full story, Matthew 21 through 16. And to help us understand it, I've added times and dollars in our vernacular. Is that right? Vernacular? Okay, I went into the source for that word, so I don't normally use that word. I think it's the first time I've ever used that word. But anyway, the vernacular, okay? I guess that's the way we speak. Anyway, Matthew 21 through 16 says, For the kingdom of heaven is like the landowner uh, who went out early in the morning, 6 a.m., to hire men to work in his vineyard. And he agreed to pay them a denarius, $100 approximately, give or take, for the day, and sent them into his vineyard. And about the third hour, being 9 a.m., he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace, Home Depot, 
Okay, they don't do this much around here, but uh, in California they do it quite a bit. If you're out of work and you need you need a job, you go stand in front of Home Depot, and these contractors will pull up and say, "I need five guys." Five guys jump in their truck and they go to work. Okay, they do that quite a bit in California. I've never seen it around here. Anyway, Home Depot. Doing nothing, he told them, you also go and work in my vineyard and I'll pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about the sixth hour, noon, and the ninth hour, 3 p.m., and did the same things. And about the eleventh hour, 5 p.m., he went out and found still others standing around. And he asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. And he said to them, you also go work in my vineyard. When the evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last one hired and going to the first. The workers who were hired about the 11th hour, 5 p.m., came and each received a denarius, approximately $100, give or take. So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius, $100. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These men who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal with us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, Friend, I am not being unfair to you. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the man who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I'm generous? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. See, when we think about what the workers were paid, our immediate reaction to this story is what? Hey, that's not fair. But Jesus didn't say, this is what the kingdom of this world is like. He said, this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. See, heaven uses different math than the world uses. In heaven, one plus one equals one. Okay? Remember when Jesus leaves the 99 sheep to go after the one lost one? The world doesn't operate that way. The army calls that an acceptable loss. You know, when the army does missions and stuff, training, whatever, they, they sit down before a training exercise and they say, okay, we expect one person to die, we expect three broken legs, we expect five broken arms, and they lay this all out, and if, as long as the injuries or, and or deaths fall within those parameters, they're okay with it. I wouldn't say okay, but, you know, it's expected. But that's not the way heaven works. Jesus said the widow's might was worth more than all the gold given in the temple that day. The world will call that fuzzy math, but you know what the Bible calls it? The Bible calls it grace. I like this parable, and in the headings of most Bibles, it's called the parable of the workers in the vineyard. And remember, they were added later on, but I think it should be called the parable of the generous boss. And in the story of God's amazing grace, we're going to look at four lessons this morning. And if you want to take notes, you can. If not, uh, that's fine. But our first lesson is a lesson about timing. And I want you to get a hold of this. It's never too late to come to God. You need to know that. Some workers started at 6 a.m. and worked all day. Others started at various times. But there was one group that started working at 5, and the quitting time was 6. Well, I wish I were, had those hours, you know. I think those first workers represent folks who have been part of God's kingdom for most of their lives. I got saved at a very young age, third grade, fourth grade, that time frame. 
I've always kind of, pastor knows the date and time, exactly what he was doing, and I've aged to the point where I've kind of forgotten exactly what the situation was, but I know it was in third grade, because I knew where we were living when I accepted Christ as my Savior, okay? But still, others have gone on and accepted Christ at an older age, 20 years old, 30, 40, 50, 60, probably even, even some deathbed conversions, which we'll talk about. But most Christians come to Christ at an early age. When Jesus was hanging on the cross, a condemned thief looked at him and said, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. That was a powerful profession of, uh, uh, of faith because Jesus didn't look much like a king when he was hanging there on the cross. We see movies about and Jesus is hanging on the cross and you can tell he's still a man. You can tell, you know, what's going on. And the actual, they say that you couldn't tell what he was, who he was, when he was actually hanging on the cross. And for the thief to look up and see Jesus hanging there and say, remember me when you come into your kingdom. After all this thief had done, that's very powerful. Jesus says, today you shall be with me in paradise. It's never, ever too late to trust Jesus. And of course, I need to qualify that with, there is a time when it is too late. If you go, if you die, if your heart stops, you die without knowing Jesus Christ is your personal Savior, it's too late. You need to know that. And if, you've accepted, if, you, if you know Christ is your Savior, you need to know that because you need to pass that on. Because there's times I talk to people, witness to people, and they say, I'm going to wait. I, don't, I just don't, whatever the reason. There's hundreds of reasons they give. But there is a time when it is too late. And we need, to, we need to be able to articulate that to people. If you die without putting your faith in Jesus, it's too late. Someone observed about the thief on the cross that there is one deathbed conversion in the Bible, so nobody should despair. But there is only one. So we shouldn't presume that we're going to wait till, our, till, till we're on our deathbed and go out and have fun and sow our oats until we're on our deathbed. And then accept Christ as our Savior. A few years ago, a pastor was called on, on to visit a 93-year-old man who had terminal cancer. His name was Adolph Allen. And he had been a hard-living, hard-drinking union iron worker for most of his life. And two minutes into their first conversation, Adolph looked at Jeff and asked, Is it fair for someone to live their whole life one way, and then at the end of their life to ask God to take them to heaven? And after thinking for a minute, Jeff said, No, Adolph, it's not fair. But luckily for you and me, God is not fair. Jeff shared the plan of salvation with Adolf, and this 93-year-old man bowed his head and asked Jesus to come into his heart. Four, four weeks later, Jeff preached Adolf's funeral, and he talked about how some football games come down to one final play. The team that's behind might have been outplayed the whole game, but on this last play, the quarterback fades back and heaves a Hail Mary pass into the end zone as the time expires. The ball might be battered around, but if an offensive receiver catches it, the game is over and they win. Jeff said that's what happened with Adolf. The devil was in the lead for most of his life, but the final score was Jesus won and the devil zero. It does happen. But it's not for us to, to hang out and discount on that. That's not, the, that's, not what, that's not what God intended. That's not what Jesus intended when he gave his life on the cross. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, you may be thinking, someday you'll get around to trusting Christ. Maybe you see yourself in a hospital. Maybe you see yourself in hospice. And like Adolf, you'll sneak in under the wire. 
But here's the problem with deathbed conversions. Statistics tell us more people die out of bed than in bed. We don't know. We don't know when our time's up. You hear stories of people just walking along their everyday life, doing this, doing that, boom. And they drop dead of a massive coronary. Or they're driving down the freeway. Bam! Somebody comes into their lane and they're, and they're gone. We all, know, we all know of people that that's happened to. You cannot count on a deathbed conversion. It's definitely not smart to wait. So our Creator's walking through this world saying, Everyone, come work in my field. Come work in my vineyard. Accept my invitation, He says. And of course, there's those that have actually said to my face, I've messed up too many times. There's no hope for me. I've done too much wrong. I've done too many bad things. And I say, you're wrong. There is absolutely nothing you can do this side of the grave that Jesus, you're not forgiven for if you just ask for it. Still, Jesus is calling. If you live 70, 80 years, or only 20 without Christ, He'll receive you any time, any day. Of course, those, those that have been saved for years and years and years and have lived life by God's Word and, and done their best to do right and, and be stand-up Christians and, and uh, uh, so on, what are they saying? What? That's not fair. It isn't fair. It's grace. That's what we need to remember. God's grace. So that first lesson is about timing. Don't wait. If you're sitting here in, in, in an unsaved condition or even a commit condition, it, it's not too late. But it's about timing. Don't wait. The second lesson is about grace. And all who respond to God's invitation will receive all there is to receive. I love that parable. Those workers that worked 12 hours in the field got 100 bucks. A hundo, right? And then the guy that worked only an hour, guess what? He got 100 bucks. I like that as it applies to heaven. Because no matter when you come to know Christ, you get it all. At the end of the day, all the workers receive the same amount, a full denarius, which was a full day's wage. And remember, everyone that becomes part of God's kingdom receives the same thing. So here's a question. What is our denarius? What is our hundo? If you said heaven, you'd be wrong. Heaven's just one of the benefits of salvation. But the real treasure when we accept Christ as our Savior, is a personal relationship with Jesus that lasts forever. Forever. Eternity. Remember what Jesus said to the thief on the cross? Today you will be with me in paradise. And when you hear that statement, what words do you focus on? Is it paradise? Or is it the words, with me? This, this day you will be with me. In paradise. Sometimes we focus on heaven. We, which, don't get me wrong, heaven's great. Paradise, yeah. But sometimes we, we, we don't focus on what we should be focused on. And that's Him. That's Jesus. With me, He said. You'll be with me for eternity, forever, in paradise. Give, you, give that a second to sink in. That, that's, that's, that, sh- that should give you the chills. That should 
make your hair stand up on it. That, that's awesome stuff right there. All who trust Jesus, whether young or old, receive a personal relationship with Jesus that lasts forever. Because wherever Jesus is, that is paradise. You know, sometimes we read the Bible and we, we read about the disciples and Jesus traveling around. And I think about now how awesome it was for the disciples to just to hang out with Jesus every day. I mean, we read about the lessons and stuff that he taught. But, you know, just hanging out with them and, and just the conversations they must have had walking down the road and, and stuff. And, and, you know, one day we'll be with Jesus. Probably not in that situation, but you know what I'm saying? We'll be there with Him. All who trust Jesus, whether young or old, receive a personal relationship with Jesus that lasts forever. But let's be honest, some of us who have worked in the vineyard all, all, all of our lives kind of bristle a little at this story when we see uh, somebody accept Christ and they receive all. That's the human part of it. That's the, that, that's the human in us. We don't want to see anybody get ahead of us. We don't want to see anybody get ahead. Then you may ask, what about the rewards, Brother John? Doesn't the Bible say that we're, we're rewarded for our faithful service to the Lord as well as, as that? Not everyone receives the same rewards. Yeah, there, there's some crowns that we'll get. Some will get them, some won't. You know, some of the, th- the things we do here on earth is, is believers. We're, we're storing up treasure in heaven and it's going to be tested. And some of it's hay and stubble. It's going to burn. Some of it's going to come through the fire. But in the end, you know what? We lay it all at Jesus' throne. We give it all back to him. So it's not like you're gaining anything by being here, being there. Okay? When you accept Christ as your Savior, you get it all, regardless of what you do here, whether it's in the church or out there, witnessing, whatever the case may be. Another misnomer is the idea that we'll have a nicer mansion in heaven. I'm going to have a nicer mansion while you're just going to have a cabin on the hill. Just this little humble cabin. That's all you're going to have. But I'm going to have the big mansion. Okay? But Jesus said, guess what? Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. We're all going to be there with the Father, with Jesus. In his book, What's So Amazing About Grace, Philip Yancey makes this observation about this parable. He says, the workers' discontentment aroused from the scandalous mathematics of grace. They would not accept that their employer had the right to do what he wanted with his money when it meant paying scoundrels 12 times what they deserved. Many Christians who study this parable identify with the employees who put in a full day's work rather than the add-ons at the end of the day. We like to think of ourselves as uh, responsible workers and the employer's strange behavior baffles us as it did the original hearers. We risk missing the story's point that God dispenses gifts, not wages. If paid on the basis of fairness, we would all end up in hell. If it's wage you want from God, then the Bible clearly identifies what the wages you're to receive are. In Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. But if you want grace, it's a gift that can't be earned. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
Grace. Thank our Lord for grace. Because if we got what we deserved, we would die in the devil's hell. So what is eternal life? Jesus defined it in John 17, 3 when he said, And this is eternal life, that they may know you, he was speaking about his Father, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Eternal life isn't living forever. Eternal life isn't heaven. It is knowing God. That's the gift. That's the full denarius. That's the, that's the hundo right there. And everyone in the kingdom receives it all. It's not fair. But thank God it's grace. Because all I can do is look in the mirror and see me. And see what kind of man I am. See what kind of person I am. And know that I'm covered by God's grace. So all those, the nasty, wicked things I've done past, present, and future, are covered by that grace. And I get the full hundo. Third lesson this parable teaches is, is, uh, is about authority, about God's authority. God is sovereign. He has a right to do whatever He wants to do. Right? I love the part in the parable where the 12-hour workers complain to the owner, and he just smiles and says, I paid you what we agreed upon. If I want to be generous, then that's my right because it's my vineyard. It's my money. Get over it. Life isn't fair. See, grace disturbs our sense of justice and our sense of fairness. But God owns the universe. He created it. He created us. He rules and reigns and He does as He pleases. And if you're a business owner here this morning, you might be thinking, well, that's not the way I would run my business. Of course it isn't. God says in Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so my, are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. I kind of like when people, and not necessarily here, but people think, think they know how to outwit God. Okay? And at every turn, they find out differently. I wouldn't run my business that way. Well, that's because you're not God. When Michael Shearer was in seminary, he had an unusual experience with grace. He stayed up all night studying for one final exam in his theology class. And as he entered the classroom, he looked around and he knew there were some slackers who didn't study much. But he was ready to ace this exam. But before the professor passed out the exams, he led a brief review of some topics that would be on the test. And he said it would be a fill-in-the-blank test. Michael was starting to panic because those topics weren't in his notes. And he thought, this is totally not fair. When the professor said, we didn't talk much about those topics, but they were in the book, and I told you at the beginning of the semester that you're responsible for all the material in the book. As the professor passed out the exam papers, he told the class to keep them face down until everyone had received the test. When they turned the test over, they were shocked to see that all the blanks were already filled in. There was a note at the bottom that said, This is your final exam. All the answers are correct. You will receive a perfect score on the final exam. The reason you passed this test is because the creator of the test took it for you. All the work you did or didn't do in preparing for this exam did not help you get an A. You just experienced grace. Michael said he learned more about God's grace that day than any theological lecture. You ever get those lessons? Maybe not in that 
that way, but God teaches us those lessons. The professor had the right to do what he did because it was his class. God has the right to be as generous as he wants to be. It's not fair, but thank God that's his grace. And the fourth lesson, of course, is about attitude, mainly our attitude. Be thankful for God's blessings without comparing yourself to others. You know, when a ruler compares itself to a yardstick, it'll come up short every time. We're not the same. We're not the same person. We don't have the same personalities. We don't do the same things. How could we possibly compare ourselves to each other? Some don't read the Bible as much as others. Some don't study as much as others. There's no way we can fairly compare ourselves to each other. The 12-hour workers grumble because they compare their wage to the one-hour workers. Someone once said that comparison is toxic to the soul, and I have to totally agree with that. When we start comparing ourselves to others, oh, look, they got more than I did. They have more than I do. It's toxic. It eats away at us. You know, I don't really mind if you drive a new Lexus, but if I bought a new Chevy Malibu and find you paid less for your Lexus than I did for my Chevy, I'm not going to be happy with you. Okay? <laughs> that, that, that's, that's humanity. That's, that's the human spirit right there. That's, that's, that's us. That's us. Abraham Lincoln was walking down the street with his two young sons, Tab and Willie. I love those names, Tab and Willie. And they were both howling with displeasure. A friend met him and said, what's wrong with the, with the boys, Abe? And he said, what's wrong with my boys is what's wrong with the world. I have three chestnuts and they each want two. Good old Abe. Many of us have worked in the Lord's vineyards for years. And the temptation we must overcome is to grumble when newbies come along and experience God's blessing. God can give people whatever He wants to give. He can take away whatever He wants to take away. He is God. We need to wrap our heads around that. He, it's His. It's all His. He can do what He wants with it. It's like when we hear of a death row prisoner who accepts Christ and thinking, yeah, are you kidding me? This guy went out and murdered hundreds of people. He's on death row. He's... he's, he's He's going to get what he deserves, and he accepts Christ. Now he, he, they put him to death, and now he's in heaven. The human part of it says that is absolutely not fair. But thank God that is grace. Because when we, we start comparing, well, my sins aren't that bad. You know what I mean? And then we start saying, well, I'm not that bad. Surely I'm going to heaven. Don't be too sure. Uh, <laughs> But, <laughs> you know, we can't compare ourselves with others. God's Word tells us, work out your own salvation. Right? We're to work it out ourselves. You want to compare yourself to somebody, compare yourself to Christ and go from there. And work from there. Can you think of a couple other grumblers? Well, actually, let's go back. Uh, as far as the warning the Bible gives us in numerous times in the Bible, but James 5.9 says, Don't grumble against each other, brothers, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Some other grumblers in the Bible who complained about grace was Jonah. Preached to the people of Nineveh that God would destroy them unless they repented. Well, they repented, and of course Jonah pouted and complained to God about His grace in forgiving them. Remember the older, older brother and the, uh, 
and the prodigal son, the older son pouting, refusing to join in the party because the younger son came back. About his father's grace and generosity to this rebellious sinner. We're each that rebellious sinner, by the way. You know that, right? Okay. I have to smile when I think of all the people through the years God has brought into this church. And through the years, how many have left? If, if ever, since 1999, since pastors came here, if we had everybody that came into this church back, we could fill probably ten of these sanctuaries right here at least. Now, some guys called away, some the military is called away, but 75% of those have left grumbling about something. It's truth. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. 75, at least 75% of those left grumbling because they weren't happy with something that was going on. Private meetings, emails to Pastor John, I saw so-and-so doing this, or you're doing this, I don't like this. And then guess what? Taking my family out of here, I, I can't worship under these conditions. <laughs> wow. It's a good thing this is God's church and not their church, right? We need to be thankful for our salvation without begrudging those who come into the kingdom later or haven't become sinless like us. That's a joke. You can laugh at that one. You can laugh at that one. That's a joke. God's grace. We're all sinners. Still. Still. Sinners. Saved by grace. Grace is the only thing that makes a difference. You say it's not fair. Thank God that's grace. When with all that said, I say, so what? So what? This is a nice story, right? Nice parable. Teaches a good lesson, but so what? I mean, besides God's timing, His grace, His authority... Oh, and sometimes our bad attitude, there's something we should be doing, right? But what should we be doing because of this story? Sitting under pastors teaching and so on, one of the things he, he said, when you, when, you, when you preach a sermon or when you hear a sermon or you hear a lesson, any lesson, you should say, so what? what so what? What does that teach me? In order to answer that question, I'd like to tell you another story based on the one Jesus told. This is kind of an offshoot of that same story. Imagine one of the workers in Jesus' parable who only worked one hour. His name was Joseph, and he had a wife named Sarah. It was past dark, and Sarah was getting nervous. And as she sweeps the dirt floor, for the third time, she breathes a prayer. Oh God, where is my, where is my Joseph? It's getting late. And I know he didn't find any work today because I went by Home Depot this afternoon and he was still standing there with the other men looking for work. Where is he, Lord? Has something happened or is he just too ashamed to come home empty-handed again? At that moment, her five-year-old daughter, Rebecca, pulls, up her, pulls at her skirt. Mommy, where's Daddy? I'm hungry. Will he bring us something to eat tonight? 
at that moment, Joseph comes through the door with a smile on his face and his arms full of food. And he says, Sarah, Becky, prepare the table. Look, I have bread, I have cheese, I have figs, and I have some honey for the two sweetest girls of my life. Sarah stares in astonishment and stutters. But Joseph, where did you get all this? I know you didn't work for it because I saw you standing with the other unemployed men this morning or this evening. What happened? Joseph said, God, Sarah, may God be praised. The most amazing thing happened to me this afternoon. I was standing there thinking that it would be just another day without work and another day without food. I was so discouraged because I didn't think I could stand another night telling Becky that she had nothing to eat. And then it was five o'clock. Mr. James, the rich man who owns the vineyard outside the village, showed up. And he said, why aren't you guys working? We said, because no one has hired us. He, he said, well, I'll hire you. Come on, hop in this cart, and I'll take you to my vineyard. I knew since it was so late in the day, I would only earn a few pennies, but that was better than nothing. And perhaps I could bargain for a few pieces of bread. When we got there, I saw lots of men working. I could tell they had been working there all day because they were tired and dusty. I worked for about an hour when Mr. James called us to be paid. Can you believe it? He paid those of us who had only worked an hour first. I was first in line, and when I held out my hand, I couldn't believe my eyes. He gave me a denarius, a full day's wages. I said, at first I said, Mr. James, did you make a mistake? I only worked for one hour, sir. He smiled and shrugged his shoulders and said, I'm a generous man, and I have plenty to give, so just take it. I know it doesn't make sense, but he paid all the workers the same. He paid us the same as those who had worked 12 hours, 8 hours, 6 hours. The others griped about it at first, but after a few minutes, they were just glad to be paid too. I was so happy, I took the money, I ran straight to the market and bought all this food. Doesn't it look delicious? Let's thank God, then we'll dig in. As Sarah set the table, she looked at the food and said, But Joseph, there are only three loaves here, and the cheese has been cut in half. I know food prices. You should have been able to buy four loaves of bread and a full wedge of cheese. Where's the rest of the food? Joseph hung his head like a boy caught with his hand in the cookie jar. He said, I didn't think you'd notice. I hope you don't mind. But on the way home with all this food, I passed the widow Elizabeth's house, and I knew she didn't have much, so I stopped and gave her one of the loaves of bread and some cheese. I hope you don't mind, Sarah. Sarah smiled, wiped a tear from her eye, and said, Of course I don't mind, Joseph. You're the kind and generous man. Now let's bow our heads and thank God. The so what of this message is simple. Because God has been unreasonably generous to you, now you are blessed to be inexplicably generous to others. God showed you His grace. The so what of this is you're to show others that same grace. As Pastor always said, you're, you're to show that beggar where you found the piece of bread. Maybe you can do something nice for someone that has possibly wronged you in the past. Maybe you can be generous to someone who has no ability to reciprocate. But you say, Pastor, that's not fair. No, thank God, that's grace. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this day, Lord. We thank You for the grace that You so freely give. Lord, we thank You for the fact that all we have to do is accept it. There's nothing else we have to do that we can do, Lord, to earn it or receive it. Lord, I pray You'd speak to hearts today, Lord. I pray You'd help us 
show others the same grace that you showed uh, shown us. Lord, I pray you'd speak. If there's somebody sitting here today that doesn't know you as their Savior, Lord, I just pray that you would speak to their heart. If there's somebody sitting here backslidden today, Lord, I pray that you'd speak to them. Lord, show them the grace that you continually show us all. We love you, we praise you, we thank you for this day. Well, thank you for joining us for this message from the Word of God. We know that the truth you have just heard will change your life if you believe it and intentionally apply it. If you need someone to pray with or maybe you just want someone to talk to, please call us at 618-622-9360. That's 618-622-9360. Or you can email us at victory at victorychurchonline.net. If you're interested in obtaining more teaching materials, or if you'd like to partner with us in this ministry, please contact us. You can email or call, or send a request to 715 Lake Point Center, Suite 109, Fallon, Illinois, 62269. Come and check us out on the web at www.victorychurchonline.net. And again, we thank you and are glad you could join us.